and welcome to another episode of Tales of Tavat, a Genshin lore podcast. Last week, we discussed the mysteries of the Yai Publishing House, its owner, and those who write and are published through it. We're keeping an eye out for Gold's book to finish out the Albedo and Klee family line of publishings coming soon. This week, we'll be going beneath the surface to discuss the chasm. Additionally, I want to remind travelers to visit talesofdevot.com to see visual representations of the lore mentioned during today's podcast. Your guides have put them together for you to make things a little easier to understand. On our site, you can also find some awesome goodies, including artist spotlights from the community for each episode, wallpapers for download, and a way to check out some of our favorite Genshin merch. Finally, feel free to email us at talesofdevotpod at gmail.com to let us know what you thought of this week's episode and what topics you want to see in the future. But let's take our deep dive. Let's uh fall into the chasm, dive <laughs> into the chasm, crash into the chasm. I don't know which one is the most appropriate. It's a hole. Disappear into a pile of oozing filth in the chasm. Oh, oh no. Damn. They did not clean out that butthole. <laughs> oh. <laughs> is it not the butthole of Tavat? The ground's butthole is definitely dirtier than the sky's butthole. <laughs> but it does glow on the interactive map oh, which yeah. I, I know i brought up before is still one of those things that just gets me it's the only thing that is animated on that map <laughs> i mean it is filled with lumen stone or lumen mm-hmm. spar does anyone even use that when they fight the ruin serpent anymore no no, no exactly no 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 but before we jump too much into the mechanics of the chasm or the chasm as tiff likes to call it (laughs) maybe we should talk a little bit about where exactly the chasm is and when we started to get access to it we've only had access to it for like a year maybe yeah 2.6 which was the update right after i started playing oh my god was it really yeah because i started when yaimiko was first released and then it was ayato because it was ayato and i think venti were running on the same banner and i was trying so hard to get both and i couldn't of course i couldn't and then the chasm came out because i was like really into artifact farming and i'm like this set is specifically for ayato and i'm like now i have an even better set but (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i'm pretty sure it was 2.6 it was definitely in between inazuma and sumeru yeah i just remember it being like the start of zhao having a hundred thousand (laughs) reruns yeah absolutely i love zhao but he had so many reruns (laughs) like because once the chasm happened it was like zhao Zhao, Zhao, Albedo, Zhao, Zhao. <laughs> Bring us and Eula. Never Eula. Never Eula. Yeah, poor Eula. Probably the only five star I don't have to date. Uh, well, rumor has it that she's being made into an NPC. Shut <gasps> up. <laughs> no, she's, she's going to come back in 3.8 when we get Port Dorman or whatever the fuck that is. I think she's going to come out at this rate when Shinesnaya is here. Yeah, she's the Zeritza. Oh my god, imagine! <laughs> she was actually a ploy for the Lawrence clan to take over a different continent. Oh my god. <laughs> no, Amber would never let her do that. Unless Amber's in on it. Unless <laughs> Eula's trying to change them for the better. <laughs> but let's go out of the ice cold and into the butthole. So, when we're in... <laughs> it's very warm in there. <laughs> That's the best one to date, Feeny. Oh my god. <laughs> so, 
we find out that there's a place called the chasm that even though we have been to leeway done the archon line been to inazuma done the archon line no one has told us and we've never noticed before as the traveler and we find out that the chasm has been closed for quite some time it was deemed too dangerous for leeways miners and people to go into there were a lot of adventurers who used to travel in there including my favorite homegirl in the chasm Jishyong. She used to hang out there all the time and she had just become like a member of the Adventurers Guild when it closed so she never actually got to explore it. So she was super excited to go down with us and we'll get into that in a little bit. But the chasm was actually a huge source of uh, money and commerce for Leeway Harbor and they really took a hit that they don't talk about a lot in the game when the chasm had to close. Yeah, I mean the mining business, I mean if that was the whole thing, I mean it's a it is, it's a giant hole. <laughs> so they're definitely mining a lot out of there. I can imagine that it, it caused some issues. I think it's also one of like the places where Jade is primarily found. And we'll get into that why it's in there. You know, not plate tectonics because they don't actually exist in this world. Flat world confirmed. Flat no, Tavok confirmed. It's, it's not a flat world. It's just they don't follow the natural order of plate tectonics and their rules, so to speak. Is that Zhang Li's fault since he's like the god of rock? No, yes. I think that would be the primordial one because he or she or they could just be androgynous like most creator gods are. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be mountains where there are mountains. The only mountain that kind of makes sense is the mountains on Dragonspine. Yes, absolutely. Hmm. A lot of them don't make sense unless like we just have some random... Anyway, plate tectonics aside. <laughs> I'm going to ask Zhang Li about plate tectonics next time I see him. Oh, please, because none of it makes sense. I bet Gold's in charge of them. Oh, no. Well, you know... Actually, that might make sense because when people dug too deep in that chasm, boom, monsters. <laughs> but yeah, so we find out a little bit about the chasm that it's been closed off because it got really dangerous for miners, adventurers, and people of the Qixing too. So Ningguang closed it down. She's like, nah, no one's allowed in there anymore. And when it comes to her, I just assume that there's some ulterior motive too, though. Like, I want to believe that it was just that, but she's like, hmm, maybe we'll still have some people go over there and get some money. This way nobody else knows. Well, it's interesting you say that because we know that Yelan has been kind of tasked with watching over the chasm as well, from what I understood. And we know that mm. Yelan is a very close associate to Ningguang. Yeah. In this past Lantern right, it seemed like her, Beidou, and Yelan were going to have a threesome. So, Oh my. It did it not? Like What? Those chess puns? What? I, wh <laughs> Am I the only one who thought that? Come on. I'm... I'm normally the more innocent mind here. I did I... not go that way. I don't remember that. So I think you're a pervert. No! <laughs> Wait, hold on. I have screenshots. Oh, of course you have screenshots. Uh-huh. Feeny comes with, with the receipt. Just keep on exposing your thirst to the world, Amanda. <laughs> uh, our friend... Vanessa was telling me the other day that my PlayStation is running as slow as it does because I have too many screenshots. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> I don't believe it. Yeah, no, it, it really could. <laughs> so I found my receipts. 
So we go up to Ningguang and Beidou. They're standing outside of Ningguang's little place where she vibes, not the Jade Chamber, but the other place. And Ningguang goes, if you don't specify what you mean, how could I know what I should do to please you? To Beidou. <laughs> and Beidou responds, that woman from Yangshang Tea House sometimes comes aboard to ask for information. She requested the fleet to import some goods, but how could I not know who she's actually working for? And then afterwards, I don't have the screenshot, but she says something like, maybe we should invite her over to play chess one day so it was a lot of sexual <laughs> tension going on and that's what i believe you know how the chess games go i mean mm-hmm. d luke talks about chess ayato talks about chess i can only assume <laughs> if they mean other things the no caesar chess pieces <laughs> oh <laughs> shut up oh, <gasps> shit Oh my god. I mean, they are t- though. What if that ties into the secret society shit? Them talking mm. about chess is actually like a hidden language. Like they're trying to recruit us. Actually, Ooh. that's Ooh. not too far off. In the winter's night, Lotso, someone actually took the the image of that chess game that we're assuming the Zaritza is playing with Piero, and it was actually a game, like the first game against an AI computer. Oh, I hate that. Oh my god. Like, oh, it's great. No, it's not far off because there are certain rules and like aspects of chess that can translate to like motifs that we see within like the Fatui as well as like around the world. Anywho, so the chasm, we find out that it was closed. We move on. <laughs> so I might need a refresher exactly on why we are allowed into the chasm. I know we go to check it out and we are met by this guy who is like, none shall pass. And then we're like, nah, we're here because of Kaching, basically. <laughs> we kind of use our friends as like an excuse to get in. And then we have to follow like those seven light pillars or whatever and unlock them. It was like a weird mechanical thing. Yeah, I don't really remember that too well because I didn't really, I don't know. I just didn't retain the entrance, <laughs> like the reasoning of the, all that, like to memory. I was more deeply engrossed in the lore once we got underground mm-hmm. and oh, the definitely. things that we learned there but yeah i remember that they sort of opened it up to us specifically to go check it out because i guess was it that the miners were in danger or something not the miners i forget oh, no something was happening and we were sent in to like investigate and of course they needed us yeah it was like a, <laughs> a commission oh yes i believe it was something from Catherine. you're right she sent this over she was like oh perfect you two can risk your lives again <laughs> like as always so we go over to the chasm we do these like weird like light pillar mechanical things that get the hole open and quite literally the chasm is like a rock structure that is built like a funnel and right in the center there's a hole that is currently mat like or i shouldn't say currently but when you first start playing in the chasm area it is locked off by some sort of magical shield and when we unlock these pillars that shield goes away and we're able to quite literally jump into the hole <laughs> we got, yeah we gotta like tease the butthole enough so that it relaxes and opens up and lets us in and then we can go cowabunga <laughs> yeah we quite literally like splunk ourselves down there oh yeah a i lot mean of we spelunking. are spunking a lot of spelunking <laughs> not to be confused with spunking oh no i'll see myself out but we go into the chasm and at this point we meet a few people who we're going to be working with one of them is my favorite jishyong but we also meet another woman i forget her name and she's actually the one who gives us the lumen stone oh yeah she's over at that table she comedians like hey you're gonna need this it's dark 
down here. <laughs> yeah, there's this little cast of characters that we run around with in the chasm. And I really don't remember any of them except Shishio. <laughs> mm-hmm. And do you really only remember her? Because that's like all I talk about all the time. No, I remember her because at first she's kind of annoying. You're like, stop. But then you end up kind of worrying about her at the end. Mm-hmm. Like she's very ambitious and I really appreciated that about her. And I think she deserves a vision. Oh yeah, she's definitely on my list of people I would give a vision to if I was in charge. The sequel of Genshin, everyone who needed a vision but didn't get one in the first half. <laughs> Maybe we'll like run into her and she like teamed up with Rana as like a new vision wielder. They're like yes. running around together somewhere. Wait, that would be yes. so cute. Rana and uh, who's the other person we would... Oh, and Jack. Yes. They yes. all get visions. It's really, if you just go into the Sea of Quanta, there's probably a oh alternate God. universe where that's happening. <laughs> oh my God. Absolutely. <laughs> That was my Honkai Sai. <laughs> I just want to let our travelers know that I've started playing Star Rail. I need to get on it. Oh, fuck yeah. I just felt like they needed to know that update. <laughs> that you've been turned. And we know that I'm playing it. <laughs> but yeah, so once we're in the chasm, we unlock, of course, as we usually do, a bedillion and one world quests and little things that we can do. But the primary function of our world quest down there is to explore and to help this little ragtag bunch explore deeper into the chasm while also trying to find out why people are in danger and what is going on in there. Also, why are there people down there? I thought it was closed. So maybe Tiff's right and Ningguang's just like monopolizing shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, other than the adventures that are down there, it's really Fatui, you know? They're always going to get their way in there. There's no miners at that point. They're treasure hoarders. Treasure hoarders, Fatui. I don't think there's any miners. If they are, they're stuck. That's like after the update. Oh, yeah. There's people who are stuck down here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I And I think that leads that. into the Archon side of the stuff, too. Do you guys want to jump right into that then and talk a little bit about the Dean's Leaf storyline? Or do you want to talk a little bit more about our initial travels down there? I don't remember any of the initial stuff, so... <laughs> I didn't care about any of that. I was like, whatever. It's like, let's get down in this butthole. <laughs> give me my primos. Yeah, give me the primos. So let's actually jump into the Archon line then, since you brought it up, Tiff. When we get down there, at one point we run into the one, the only, Deansleaf. I was so excited, and now I'm not. It was so out of nowhere. It was like, dude, what are you doing here? And it gives us an explanation that the ley lines, that the, when you cross over crazy tubes and stuff like that sometimes you don't know where you're gonna end up on the other side but it just happens so to be that he ends up with us well yeah he said that he was chasing an abyss herald through an abyssal portal and you know usually the abyss they can sort of once they reach a portal they can turn it off basically so you can't follow them to through the exit but that i guess this abyss herald forgot to do that and so he was able to follow them through the the portal into the abyss um and he describes the abyss portals as not just having an a to b exit like entrance and exit but that when you go into an abyss portal it's really a network and that you can go out of all kinds of different exits within that network depending on where you want to go which is when paimon says 
like likens that to the waypoints and how we teleport around that they work in a similar way. And that's really the first time we hear that, which is super interesting and exciting to know. That opened a lot of questions, I think, for us. Yeah, because they're doing that through the abyss and it's like, are the waypoints using the abyss? Or maybe they're using the light realm, but the light realm has corresponding network that sort of mirrors the abyss one, or maybe it's just different. Yeah. But how are they not running into each other? Yeah. How are they like controlling themselves like that? And we've seen the use of these abyssal portals a few times ourselves now in the Kari Bear storyline, I think is the one of the few first times. And later on in the Chasm event quest with Ito and Yelan and Yanfei, we get to actually see how these like abyss portals work. And for us, it's just like kind of us walking into like the space and then we are out of space. But I would like to know the actual mechanics behind it besides just the graphics that they give us. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's the void. It's um, it's beyond really anything. It's, you know, it's if you play Honkai, it's sort of like the Sea of Quanta. Or it could be, you know, even maybe the waypoints if they're using light energy, you know, and they're traveling somehow via Soul or the ley lines that could be likened to the imaginary tree from Honkai. Sorry, Tiff, I know you're like, fuck you. <laughs> I've completely ignore this portion of the podcast. <laughs> it's all sort of the same idea, though, is that it's just the void. It's like nothingness traveling in the space between space. It also bears the question as to why is the abyss in the chasm as well? You know, you were saying that he was following this abyss selector or whoever, and he ended up in the abyss. It's like, okay, well, why was this abyss selector going to the abyss Right, as well? so Dane's leaf is immediately like, okay, so that means the abyss is here and they're up to something. So what is it? Right. So then we go exploring, and that's when we run into the Upside Down City. Which, when we first saw that, I totally thought we were going to fix it. <laughs> I thought it was not going to be Upside Down anymore. I still don't understand why it's Upside Down. It's very mysterious. And we see that it's sort of surrounded by the shield of abyssal energy which Dainsleaf is sort of like Shaw and like holds up his hand and like some blue energy comes out of it and the purple abyssal energy dissipates and Dainsleaf is like he says something like um Conria technology abyssal energy it's all the same to me just parlor tricks or something like that and he so he somehow is able to dispel this like abyssal magic or abyssal energy and likens it to like also knowing how to deal with Conrian energy which would be light energy by the way so I thought that was interesting like how did he learn how to do that yeah and why is the abyss working off of light energy like that seems so no they're working off of the void like the abyssal energy but conria was working with light energy which is the opposite of abyssal energy it's the one that's like diametrically opposed to the abyss but it, it's sort of similar to it like it could be both good or bad and it's just as powerful and we find out later that conria you know was using the energy and that's the energy that's powering all of their machinery hmm. like the uh, room guards so when you said that they were similar then you mean like more so how they're harnessing like their energy is similar like how conria and the abyss is harnessing it is like a similar tactic yes and that and that they're equal in power that's weird isn't it i don't like that <laughs> i'm not a fan of that well i mean if celestia is using the same energy which i believe they 
are because we find out later that Conria, and I'm not talking about this quest, I'm talking about a different quest, but we find out that Conria is using the same energy as Celestia to try to overturn things, mm -hmm. which is why, you know, they're led to disaster. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, we already knew that the light slash elemental realm was sort of diametrically opposed to the this slash void realm and that the human realm is sort of on top of the light elemental realm, right? Mm -hmm. So Conria was using light energy to power its machinery, which it was going to use against Celestia. And that is sort of the opposite, but equal to the abyssal energy that's being used by the abyss order. Okay. And somehow Dainsleaf is able to sort of control both. Dainsleaf ain't human. I'm convinced. He's not even a Conrian anymore. He's like ascended past that. <laughs> yeah, the bow keeper. I mean, you know, the whole idea that he might have been a sword too, right? <laughs> but I, I digress. I wanted to take a backtrack to the upside down city too and just say that the one of the first things I thought of too was the upside down Barbados statue that we see. Yeah, that's what yeah. I thought too and I completely equated it, almost missing the fact that it was an entire city. <laughs> like I was just like, oh shit, they turned shit upside down again. So you do you think the Abyss ordered turn the city upside down? Well, I mean, I assumed that they turned the statue upside down. So in that moment, that was my whole kind of thinking. I don't know now, honestly. I don't know if I have an opinion one way or the other because like it could be like some crazy trickery and like punishment from Celestia or it's like some funky shit that the Abyss was doing and they kind of just went, oops, <laughs> sorry. Maybe the city was sort of moved into the Abyss somehow and then moved back into to that and when it, when it moves back in it would be upside down because and I'm getting into some of the uh, the new Pari world quest stuff but that's sort of like how it works is that when it things from the abyss are sort of reflected upside down within to that oh. so that could be have something to do with it yeah that yeah. would definitely that sounds more plausible so it gets like literally moved like that could have been in Mondstadt and then it got thrown into leeway possibly like on a bigger like how Danes live went through I guess a two well, I'm thinking it was already there in the chasm. I just don't know if it was always upside down. I'm assuming it was not always upside down. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because there was a civilization. I think they made it right side up. And then when they actually came through, it was upside down because there is record that the abyss invaded the chasm before. Yeah, the abyss was there and we find out that they set up an, some kind of device and like within the upside down city mm -hmm. and they also had put this weird abyssal shield around the city. So they were definitely like in the city messing with it. I mean, I still am very curious of did the abyss turn the city upside down? Is that a part of, they did it to the statue of Seven in mm -hmm. Mondstadt and that was a part of their plan to like mechanize Osile or whatever. Mm -hmm. So so it would make sense logically that they could somehow turn maybe this whole city upside down and that has something to do with, you know, their plan. I'm surprised that we haven't asked the question, are we upside down and it's right side up? <laughs> well, that's, maybe. That's, that's a huge theory, right? It is. And, you know, it could be and it could not be. I think without the context of like, it was originally, like the way it is now was that originally how they made it because that was how they like were right side up I guess it seems nonsensical to ask that question but it is so fucking important for so many different theories it gets very confusing well it also begs the question then why did they bring a statue of seven into the abyss in that first like Dane's leaf quest 
you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, there is like a tie of Celestia to it. So maybe they were like, ah, we can fuck with this and we can fuck with Celestia through it. Maybe it's like they're not taking it into the abyss. I mean, maybe it's just getting sucked up using abyssal powers on it does it or something i don't know it, it's still a mystery for sure i would even beg to say though in kari bear when we see like the abyssal stuff going on there i don't even know what to call that the first thing all of us really think of is the upside down statue again and it's yeah. interesting that you know there's this whole theory that because the stars are a lie we must be upside down and that's why we can't see the sky so the idea that maybe the human realm has which is originally the light realm brandon right or elemental yeah it's planted on top of the light slash elemental realm so maybe you know the th an idea that it somehow fell into the abyss and now the abyss is upside down i don't know but it's interesting that they keep using these upside down things and getting to see an upside down city that really doesn't have full explanation as to why it's upside down was very intriguing and one of you had just said that they said the abyss kind of like onslaught the chasm and took it over and so that also bears the question of was there ever a civilization down there to begin with or is that just the way the abyss built their home if the abyss just built their home that way like maybe they're like bats i don't know they just live upside down <laughs> <laughs> what if this has no evidence but i just thought of it what if this is a piece of conria that was touched by abyssal magic or abyssal energy and just was flipped because that's what abyssal shit does well dainsleaf tells us that looking at the architecture of the city that it looks like it's from a civilization much older than conria although oh. it does look similar to the architecture used and Conria. So to me, it makes it seem like this is an ancient civilization. Maybe it is a part of the ancient unified civilization that existed before the second who came, which would include Inconomia before it fell into the sea. It would include Inconomia, Salvin Dagner, but it would also include Conria because they're the oldest civilizations that predate the fight of the primordial one and the second one who came. Well, I have a theory that Conria came right at the end, uh, like started at the end uh -huh. of Salvin Dagner and Inconomia. Ooh. Yeah, I would have to agree with that just because it's pretty evident that Conria is not the oldest. No, definitely not the oldest. I would even dare to say that only Inconomia was around for the first versus second fight. <laughs> because Salvin Dagner, they seem to be around when Mondstadt was around. And I don't know, just the way that they talk about Mondstadt lore at the same time. So I want to get into that because when we did our Dragon Spine episode, that was our thought was that Salvin Dagner was sort of seeking, they were, you know, the, the actual verbiage says that they were seeking refuge from a land of snow and strife. So we all assume that that means that they were coming from the time of the war between Decarabian and Andreas, where Andreas was like freezing everything and Decarabian had this like shield of, of storms blocking the ice and snow out. And so we assume that this was like people from that area that left Decarabian's rule, like his tyrannical rule, and went to seek refuge somewhere else and they stumbled upon this you know wonderful mountain that was free of all the ice but when i was looking into this today i was made aware of these artifacts called prayers for illumination prayers for destiny and prayers to springtime 
And these artifacts talk about a time when humans received revelations directly from heaven and that the heaven had envoys that walked among humans. And, you know, within the, within these artifacts, it talks about the thawing of an eternal ice at a time when the first fires started. And so it's very ancient and it, at a time, obviously, when humans were still in direct contact with these envoys from heaven, which we can guesses celestia right so what if salvin dagner wasn't from this decorabian andreas place what if they were way older than that and they were actually some of the first humans to walk to that Ooh, kind of like ice age shit right and then they find this mountain that was very ideal in terms of weather and everything and a great place for them to live. And I believe there's also lore out there that says that Celestia used to be sort of stationed right above Dragonspine. And then, you know, eventually they get sky nailed. And the, then the mountain freezes. So are we suggesting then that Dragonspine is the first place that a sky nail ever existed? No. I think all the sky nails came down at the same time. Oh, really? I wonder if they make a particular design. I will say that I've kind of had this thought in my head that Celestia dropped them one at a time, which totally could be wrong, right? But I also feel mm-hmm. like the closer we're getting to Shneznaya, the closer we get to Celestia. And people are saying that that's because Celestia is going to have its own place on the map and that just happens to be where it is. But I feel like they're getting closer and closer to Celestia because they know what the Suritz is up to and they're ready to fuck shit up over there. And, you know, I think we mm-hmm. talked a while back about how there's possibility of a sky nail coming to Inazuma potentially because the Ryan Shogun broke some of the like heavenly principles from what we can quote unquote assume by trying to change the standard like the status quo of humanity basically by trying to figure out eternity that's like probably Mm -hmm. not good for the heavenly principles (laughs) but it makes me wonder if like they are aware that the Saritza is fucking up and they're gonna drop a sky nail on them otherwise you know It'd be interesting to know if all the sky nails did fall at once, because are they about to drop several more? I was just wondering, in your theory, does do they drive Celestia around? Like, oh hell yeah, chamber? that's a spaceship. I've I've already that's <laughs> they can't talk about spaceships. I think that's a spaceship at this rate. <laughs> so did, <laughs> wait, was Xingxiao onto something with the Legend of the Sword? He knows all the space stuff. Yes. Well, I think the spaceship is the second who came. Oh. And I do think that it, that could have influenced a Legend of Sword because I think the second who came. So I guess let's back up and talk about the origin of the chasm and what mm-hmm. created it. So we know that according to volume six of the records of Zhui Yun, which is this book series in Liyue, that the chasm was created by a falling star. Would you like me to read <laughs> the passage? Yeah. Go for it. All right. In a past beyond memory, when even Rex Lapis would still have been young, a star fell from the sky into the barren plains west of Liwei. These plains were transformed into a huge and deep chasm in the wake of that star's descent, and jade would emerge from within, beautiful and limitless. It would become the foundation of a thousand years of industrial mining in Liwei thereafter. Mm. Mm. 
There's also some like idea that it's a sentient mechanical thing. Yeah, that's a part of that legend. Now, this sort of matches the same myth from the solar relic artifact and the Vermilion Hereafter set that talks about we and we went over this in a previous episode, but this is the one that talks about the sun chariot falling from the sky um after the moon sisters died. And and that, you know, that this was also mentioned to be like when Zhang Li was young. So we know that Zhang Li is a around 6,000 years old. So that means that this happened, this falling star created the chasm around 6,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. The records of Zhuiyun also state that during the Archon War, which was roughly 2,000 to maybe 2,600 years ago, that during that time, the star that had fallen into created the chasm leapt back up towards the sky. Mm -hmm. So this is happening 6,000 years ago that it falls. So my thought is that this could be the second who came and that it could also be a spaceship because the sun chariot myth talks about these mountain tribes people repairing it right and that that's when it returned to its you know westward cycle so maybe it getting repaired is what allowed it to leap back up into the sky and that makes sense if it's a spaceship because they had to fix it but that also means that it crashed and that it stuck around uh into that for around four thousand years before it was repaired so here's my question do you think that the second who came is in charge of celestia i asked that because one of the big theories about the chasm is that the star was celestia that fell because if you look at like the bottom of Celestia. And I mean, we're like squinting, right? Pulling out our binoculars, looking at it from Tabat. But it does have like a similar shape to the chasm. Mm -hmm. So like I read you know, a lot of theories that say that Celestia is what fell to the ground. And so it'd be interesting if, like, the second who came crash-landed his spaceship into Vought in the chasm and created the chasm, and then he eventually left when the Archon War started and kind of took up his throne in Celestia and knighted his seven Archons that came out victorious and kind of was like, y'all are in charge now. Be gone. Hmm. Maybe. That's an interesting theory. I do really love this theory, though. I, like... Because it would explain the sudden, like, the primordial one is seen as a very benevolent god. They defeated the seven dragon lords, but didn't kill them. And once we have the fight, all of a sudden they're throwing sky nails. That's not benevolent. That's completely out of character. Right. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear and some other lore that we'll get to in a minute that it was the primordial one who threw down the nails and was threatened by what was happening to the world because of the second who came. The whole idea of the spaceship thing just kind of bothers my mind because for some reason, every time we talk about like the sun chariot and the moon goddesses and all that kind of stuff, I immediately see, and I might be aging myself here, I immediately see the artwork that's a part of Smashing Pumpkins melancholy and the infinite sadness <laughs> and it's like I just like see like the little like guy on a on an old tiny bike and then to put a spaceship in it you just kind of blew my mind <laughs> it's not working <laughs> oh, no. you know what's actually interesting about that is that 
Okay, so when our initial discourse between Honkai and Genshin started in our like group of friends, um, and for travelers, we have a group of friends and there's a large debate over Honkai versus Genshin. And by that, I mean Tiff and I are like, fuck Honkai Impact the third, boo. And everyone else is like, just try <laughs> it. And me and Tiff are like, no. One of the big reasons, <laughs> I, I think both of us said we weren't a fan of Honkai Impact the third was of how robot-y it was and techy and something that's really fun about Genshin and said it's very magical it's very mystical you know it's yeah. about gods there's mm. magical powers from visions much more fantasy based yeah that instead of the sci-fi side of Honkai so hearing like spaceship it's a, a weird throw like when you're thinking mm -hmm. about lore of this game and thinking that like there are spaceships like Celestia could literally just be like an island in the sky it could be another planet it could be a moon but now it could also be a spaceship like for some reason that doesn't seem as plausible unless you start to bring in like that the Honkai is tied in theories like if you had never played Honkai you would never think that a spaceship could be up in the sky or that a spaceship crash landed. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, if you read a legend of sword, uh, you would. <laughs> well, but even when we had our Shing Show episode, weren't we all like, it's so weird that he wrote about space. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, as humans, I've always been obsessed with the idea of space. The second we see birds, we're like, I want to fly. And we eventually got there. Mm. Who says we couldn't do it again? <laughs> I do want to just say a, a few more quick things about my whole, like, why I think it's Celestia that crashed and created the chasm. And I cannot say, I can't say for sure, obviously, because I think what Brandon said has a lot more canon to it because it is lore that we actually hear. You know, it's like we read that, right? That the sun chariot crashed and everything happened. So there is more of a possibility that it's canon. Of course, we also learned last week during the Yai Publishing House episode and also during our Nahida storylines that we seem to write things down that aren't necessarily the most linear when applied to real life so we could be making a more fantasy version up too to please the readers and defy something in ermine soul <laughs> i mean i think it's absolutely possible that it was celestia that created the chasm because i think that what could have happened was celestia was in the sky and maybe was even you know, sort of like the solar palace that is sort of equal to the lunar palace that we know about and that it was sort of floating around and maybe people thought it was the sun and that the second who came showed up somehow, we don't know how, but that when all of this disaster happened because of the war between the primordial one and the second who came, then at that point, Celestia crashes down and takes care of business, <laughs> dropping the sky nails and like getting rid of all of the people and doing whatever they need to do. And then by the time that sort of things are repopulating and we're getting to the time of the Archon War, that's when they sort of lift back up into the sky. And they're like, okay, now I have my Archons in place. They're, you know, communicating like I gave them their noses. They're going to like be my eyes on the ground and I can go back up into the air. Like it makes total sense that it was Celestia. Well, a few more little random nodes to just hammer it in or sky nail it in a little deeper. And this is where we're going to find some really niche lore. So like, 
you know, travelers, don't kill me. It's fine. But uh, as most people know, I'm a big Albedo fan. I hope you all know that by now if you're listening. I love Albedo. And as we all know, Albedo has a sword called the Cinnabar Spindle. The Cinnabar Spindle is said to be a sword made from materials that do not belong in this world. The power within the sword might even be able to withstand the corruption of a venom that could corrode a mighty dragon. Now, the latter half is definitely pointing to the whole, like, Albedo's gonna get corrupted by Durin one day, just like Durin, or even corrupted by gold one day, just like Durin was corrupted by her. So, you know, great. Very much not looking forward to that storyline. But it begs the question of how this sword is made of a material that does not belong in this world when there is a cinnabar cliff located in the chasm. And the cinnabar cliff is actually considered a tourist spot, although people rarely go there. So I don't know what type of tourist spot that is, but it is a tourist. It's like saying the trash cans in Star Rail are a tourist spot. I mean, we all love the trash. I would say to explain Cinnabar, it comes from Cinnabrite, which is an actual sulfide mineral that we find here on our planet. Yeah, it's part of, it's a part of Mercury. Mm-hmm. Which is probably why they're like, yo, this is kind of deadly because it's... <laughs> But it could have been attached to the sun chariot. Maybe some residue came off and that's somehow it became Cinebrite. Well, give me a second. So basically what we find out is that Cinnabar IRL in real life is this actual bright red mineral, like Al just said, that's Cinebrite. And it has something to do with mercury. It either helps create the form of mercury that we know today, something like that, something with the chemical composition. It creates mercury sulfide, which is like mercury and sulfur. But it's also very well associated with volcanic eruption and hot springs, but sulfitic, sulfitic, sulfuric, sulfuric hot springs. I find that interesting because I would assume if something crashed down into the chasm, as we're guessing, it would be pretty fucking hot. (laughs) It might even equate out to a volcanic eruption. And if you go from there, um, they say that the word cinnabar actually comes from the Greek word kinabari. And I thought that was really interesting because Al has mentioned before that Celestia has a lot of like Greek influence to it from what we know about it and a lot of the lore it tends to be more greek surrounding celestia in general so i am very curious if when celestia possibly crash landed into what is now the chasm if they left behind some ore that is not of this world if the crash itself created cinnabar it's also interesting because who tells weapon the staff of homa well, it doesn't say anything about Cinnabar in it until you get to her attack, uh, and it's called Reckless Cinnabar. But there's really no explanation that relates it back to Cinnabar at all. And I couldn't find anything, not in her weapon description, not in her description. You know, it said that her staff was probably used, like has a sort of power in it that helps her like pass people on to the afterlife when they're assuming there was like a really bad plague of people getting sick in leeway because of the corruption that the Yakshas uh, cause, kind of like that dark magic that Zhao was always fighting off. Mm-hmm. There is this assumption that this staff that she uses was created by her like great ancestors to help people suffering from this like plague of darkness move on to the next world. Maybe you can only do that if you got out of this world materials. I don't know. I don't I really don't know how her stuff relates back to this reckless cinnabar. 
and the Cinehome is definitely not related to it. If the Cinehome is my favorite place in the chasm, I made up that name. It's just like the house in the middle where that guy tries to fight you if you've done the quest. Um, but yeah, that's just kind of my little like, I feel like definitely something out of this world, which could be also not Celestia. I think there's a lot of things that could have crash landed and not been of this world that could have like left some Cinnabar behind. So I'm not 100% sure, but that really, to me, pushes the theory a little bit further. Yeah, and it could also have just actually been the fake sun in the sky (laughs) that just fell out of the sky and then they fixed it and put it back up in the sky, you know? Yes, exactly. So it could be the sun too. Maybe it was a moon sister. It literally could be fucking anything. But backing up to uh, where we were with the upside down city and talk a little bit about the curse, the Conrian curse, because that's sort of what the whole Dainsleaf quest is sort of centered around. Mm-hmm. is that, you know, we, we find out that our abyss twin is trying to use this fountain in the upside down city that seems to ease the curse or sort of try to cleanse the curse in a way, even though uh, Dingsley, you know, declares that there's absolutely no fully getting rid of it. We find out that, you know, hilly trolls are coming into the chasm when they're so far eroded that they can't really continue living. And they go there because it's comforting because this energy that's within this upside down city eases their curse and makes them feel better. And so we find out that our abyss twin is trying to use this magical fountain in the city, along with this abyssal amplification device to transmit something that will hopefully cure or reverse the curse and change all the hilly trails back into to people so that they can rebuild the kingdom of Conria and, you know, a, a stand against Celestia again. And Dainsleaf is like, no, this is going to cause them so much more suffering and there's no chance that it'll work. We have to stop them. And then, you know, we meet half Dan who sort of saves the day at the end of it by throwing himself on top of the amplification device. And we basically ruin their plans and stop that from happening as we should as we should well maybe um because <laughs> maybe who knows like maybe it would have actually worked depending on which which twin you're on the side of you know yeah the more we learn the more you kind of feel for abyss twin because we know that they're just trying to get rid of the curse because all of these hilly trolls you know they're they used to be people in conria and they became these monsters they're all like living tortured lives and they're also all immortals essentially so they're being tortured forever and our twin is trying to ease their pain but we yeah. do, i guess and and you know our twin says even if there's a one percent chance that it'll work we have to try it but then on the flip side dingsleaf was like there's less than a one percent chance that this will work and that it's actually going to inflict a lot of mm-hmm. extra suffering which i guess yeah. we don't know for sure if our twin knew that it would cause suffering yeah and correct me if i'm wrong this is when we first find out though that the hilly charles are actual people from conria right like we just never knew what they were no 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 i think we found that out before before the chasm i don't remember exactly when amanda do you remember when we find out about the conrian curse because i know that when Dainsleaf shows up he starts talking about the curse and paimon's like oh yeah you mentioned that you know the people were cursed but i'm like i don't remember when we find 
out. So I think we find out that Dane's leaf is cursed back in Mondstadt, but we don't find out the hilly trolls are humans, basically, until the chasm. Because the joke is like, before doing the chasm, fuck you, hilly troll. And then after the chasm, oh, I'm so sorry I have to kill you. (laughs) So we definitely find out in that moment that abyss mages and hilly trolls are people. It's definitely in the chasm. We know that there was a curse. Maybe I just fast forwarded it too much when I was rewatching the quest on YouTube. So then, yeah, you're right, Tiff. I think I I just watched it, the video in a weird place that made it seem like we already knew. Because that was like mm. the huge lore drop, I think, in the chasm was that the hilly trolls used to be people. Yeah. And I think, too, they lead us on really well because we find out Dane's leaf is cursed. He's like, the people of Conria are cursed, like in Mondstadt. And we're like, oh, okay. Like, are they all like... Like you? <laughs> we all just assume that they're like cursed to live forever. And that's when all like the Kaya stuff starts to get questioned. Because we're like, oh, well, has Kaya been this age his whole life then? What's going on? Mm-hmm. But then we find out that they're all hilly trolls. And we're like, wait, so how is Kaya cursed? <laughs> <laughs> but then we find out in Kari Bear. Yes. Yeah, so we find out in the chasm that the citizens of Conria were cursed and that they are the hilly trolls and the abyss mages, etc. Then every time you go to kill them, you go, wait, I don't want to <laughs> kill the cursed poor people who are all hurting. But according to Dainsley, you know, he's very adamant that there is no humanity left in them. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, he's like, don't 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 be fooled by your emotions like these are not people anymore whereas Mm. our twin is very much on the side of no they are people they're citizens of connery and we have to save them somehow and well spoiler alert to anybody who didn't do caribar so give it a second Okay, we know that the our twin is right based on Carver because we know that that kid is inside the hilly trail. Like he's really. But that was hundreds of years ago. So you think by now they just kind of turned into little like walnuts? Yeah, all I could think of was walnuts. walnuts. I was like walnut. <laughs> <laughs> you know, little nut inside a big shell. <laughs> this is just. I feel like from what we've learned from Dean's Leap is that they are like eroding away on the inside the longer that they are hilly trolls. Oh. So I feel okay. like that's why there's so many hilly trolls like in the chasm trying to find that source of like the calm power that Brandon was talking about. Because they've been alive for 500 years now. Yeah. I'm almost like surprised that there aren't more in the chasm, but I think the Pari quest line answers some of those questions. Does that bring in the other hilly trolls, the multicolor hilly troll, the big guys? Yeah. Okay. I haven't done that part yet. But the new world quest, the new Pari world quest, featuring Sarouche, <laughs> our little floaty companion that's not Paimon. <laughs> that drops so much lore about Conria, including you get to find the entrance to Conria that whets anyone's appetite. Ooh. But we find out during that quest that the Conrians were rejected by the laws of this world and cursed. So it kind of makes it seem like the reason that they're cursed is they are rejected by the laws placed by the primordial one on this world, maybe even like upon the creation of it, which I thought was really strange. And, you know, I guess we can get more into that into what the curse is at a later time but we do know that they were rejected by the laws of this world during the cataclysm we also know that light energy is this is where we find out you know how powerful light energy is that it's mm-hmm. just as powerful as abyssal energy and that conria was using this energy and its machinery to try to tear open the edges of the false world and reveal the truth and you know could it be that conria learned how to do this from the 
this ancient unified civilization that we talked about, like in Kanamiya from before the fall. And that maybe that's why this area is attracting all of these eroded hilly trails because, and it's easing their curse because it's using the light energy that was manipulated by the civilization to protect people from the abyss. So because light energy is so powerful, it's sort of equal to, but opposite abyssal energy. So it could even potentially corrupt, but it seems like the ancient civilization and or Conria learned how to manipulate it in a way that it gets along well with humanity. This might have happened as part of the deal that was made between the elemental light realm and the primordial one when the primordial one was first establishing human and setting up the world for humanity, that they had to figure out how to make this light energy work with the human realm. So this technology sort of existed already and Conria figured out how to use it. And that also kind of makes sense that this upside down city is similar to Conria, but it's from an, a more ancient civilization. And maybe Conria took things from the civilization and used it to build their nation, including that technology of this light energy, which they use to power all of these insane machines. <laughs> also, the Intivat flower that we run into in the chasm during the Dangsliff quest, that is the same flower that Lumine has in her hair. Mm -hmm. And it's the national flower of Conria. We find out that that only blooms normally for two weeks before wilting. But if you take it out of Conria, the flowers turn like the petals of the flower turn hard and it sort of becomes immortal. But then it once you take it back to the home soil, the flower then continues to wilt and turns to dust. And that made me think, like, could that mean that maybe just the easiest way to get rid of the curses for all these hilly trolls to just go back to Conria? Wait, it sounds like <laughs> if they it. return to their home soil, will they just turn into dust and like finally die? Well, isn't there something that says the curse doesn't affect them unless they leave from underground Conria? Yeah, we find that out also during the new Pari World Quest that when the cataclysm happened, you know, they were cursed, quote unquote, but none of them turned into these hilly churls or these monsters until they left Conria and went to the surface. That's when the curse kicks in. You find notes from people in the New World Quest that chose to stay underground near Conria, even though there were monsters pouring out of it. You know, most people were fleeing for their lives. And then once they get to the surface, they turn into monsters themselves. But then once people, once some of the citizens that were fleeing found this out, some of them started staying back. So they were like getting slaughtered by monsters or hiding or whatever, but they would only turn into the hilly trolls and the monsters once they left Conria, which means for some reason, you know, Conrians were rejected by the laws of this world. And it's almost like since they weren't a part of those laws, once they crossed some kind of threshold, then that curse, whatever the curse is, kicked in. Mm, so fucking wild. Honestly, so sad. Now, where does the unusual hilly trail come into this? Because that's really all I care about. He was once a <laughs> businessman. In fact, he was a lawyer. He was, he was a freaking good businessman. He's still carrying around that briefcase. You know what? His firm went under. And when that <laughs> happens, you know, it just... Yeah, he's just like, hey, I still got to work. You bitches over here just laying around. I mean, they're definitely anomalies. Because mm -hmm. like Half Dan, he kept a lot of his sort of memories, even though he turned into a, a Black Serpent Knight. Right. Before we jump into exactly what the Serpent Knights are, because I think that's actually really important, I did want to just say, to back to the flower, we do see that one flower on the ground, the one that's from Conria that Lumine has in her hair, which first off, pissed me the fuck off, because it's just insinuating again that Aether 
is really supposed to be the traveler and i hate that i just hate that they like were like oh we're gonna make this really like you know pick your poison type of thing and they really didn't <laughs> poor lumine gets the short end of the stick the <laughs> entire time she's never been featured in any of like the event art or anything like that it's very frustrating for me yeah uh, but that put aside when we touch that flower don't we see the memory of our sibling yes yes and that is very curious to me because it ties back to the Aranara. And when we talk about the Aranara, one of the big things we mentioned is that they can store their memories in flowers. Once Dainsleaf and Paimon realize that Traveler's sort of in a daze having this memory and seeing this, this image, and we tell them what we saw, Dainsleaf says something like, well, they do say twins have a special connection. And the way that he says it, it that really started, I think, this the theory for me in my head that like there's something more to the connection between Ether and Lumine where I, I know we have a lot of theories and speculation of like the world is like in a cycle and like the twins are taking turns being the abyss mage and like they're sharing each other's memories or like you know one twin is actually the soul of the other twin or something like it sort of sparked that kind of there's something more going on and then you know once we got to Kari Bear it was like okay something's going on here where we're like living our memory the memories of our twin yeah absolutely but I did think that was interesting and I you know we do see no find out through Kari Bear that our siblings spent some time in Sumeru and that the Aranara we also find out that like they knew him or her whoever it is so I do wonder if like they picked up on some like I'm gonna leave my memory in this flower mm -hmm. because they knew we were gonna come down this path they know everything we're doing yeah it makes me curious that they were purposely leaving little clues for us to find too oh yeah I definitely think so but that brings us to the Serpent Knight. Yeah, so the Black Serpent Knights were the Royal Guard of Conria, and we find out during this quest that Dangsliff is the captain of the Royal Guards. Mm -hmm. So that was a fun bit of lore. I think it's interesting that they're called the Black Serpent Knights because there's a whole motif and a bunch of lore about a serpent in the Abyss, mm -hmm. which is also something that this game has in common with Honkai Impact. Sorry, but <laughs> it does. So yeah, there's this whole thing with this serpent also remember the back in the manga when sweet baby Kali first comes to Mondstadt and she uses her weird powers there's like a weird snake that is manifested that kills people at the battle pass cutscene too there's a black snake a black serpent that clutches the pearl isn't it like wrapping itself around the yes which i have a connection with if you will but continue continue so i just wanted to also get into the oozing filth versus the sky nail and the chasm that is sort of a part of this quest where you know we're running around the chasm the depths of the chasm with like collecting lumen spar which we use in our lumen stone adjuvant thing and we're using that to cleanse these clumps of oozing filth which we find out later that oozing filth is just sort of forbidden knowledge that's uh what forbidden knowledge kind of turned into in the chasm <laughs> <laughs> and when it spills out of its little container <laughs> yeah <laughs> spoils and we find out one interesting is in the second nahida story quest there's this grounded geoshroom that nahida had once protected and she actually tasked this mushroom thing to guard a memory involving the dendro 
sovereign Apep, and that this geoshroom that was sent to the, the chasm to protect this memory, because Nahida knew that her memory would probably get removed. So he's guarding this in the chasm and that he he says that he had to use the sky nail in the chasm to change the form of the forbidden knowledge. So it's interesting that the sky nail is able to do that. But then as I looked more into it, I was learning more like, oh, we actually know really why the sky nails were sent. And that's because of some newer, some new Sumeru things that were given to us in the lore. And I was kind of shocked when I was looking into this because it I feel like it took several floating lore bits that we've all talked about and kind of brought them together. And I feel like we're finally able to start putting some of these pieces together to build the history of what happened into that. But the Skynail's purpose, it definitely seems to be about protecting the world from forbidden knowledge. And there's a weapon called the Staff of the Scarlet Sands, which was basically King Deshret's weapon. The description of it is from his point of view. And part of that says that in the original world, the barriers were torn down and the dark poison had penetrated the earth. To heal that fragile, sad, and imperfect world, the spikes descended and pierced through the earth's crust. And then in the Amethyst Crown, which is an artifact in the Flowers of Paradise Lost set, that is described from the point of view of the Goddess of Flowers. Now, we're going to get into this in more detail later in the season when we do our Gods of the Desert episode, but I just wanted to briefly get into this. The Goddess of Flowers, we know that she is allegedly a surviving Seelie. Right. So this Amethyst Crown in the Flowers of Paradise Lost says, It was a faraway time of calm and peace. Divine envoys spoke openly with the people then, bringing them the word from the heavens, which... I just talked about that earlier, these divine envoys and the time of like the early humans of Tibet. Mm -hmm. But in time, invaders descended from beyond the firmament, bringing with them destruction, overturning rivers, spreading plagues. So I'm thinking that's the second who came, right? And although the invaders brought war to my former kin, notice she says my former kin, they also brought about illusions that could break through shackles to the land. But the master of the heavens, consumed by fear for the rising tide of delusion and breakthroughs, sent down the divine nails to mend the land, laying waste to the mortal realm. When we then suffered the torment of exile, stripped was our connection to heaven, to our powers of enlightenment. So this blew my mind because to me, this is saying that it's sort of laying it all out. You have the primordial one who made the human realm and unleashed humanity onto Tevat, right? Then you have these divine envoys who are basically, you know, representatives of Celestia and talking to the people, the early humans and guiding them. What does guiding humans remind you of? Seelies. Right. And we know that the goddess of flowers is allegedly a Seelie. So that makes me think that the Seelies were the divine envoys, which means that the Seelies were mm. under the primordial one. They were like the primordial one's helpers. They are a part of Celestia. She says that, you know, the invaders brought war to my former kin. They also brought about illusions that could break through shackles to the land. I think that the second who came showed up and they started telling the truth about the world to the humans and the humans were kind of like wait so our world is is fake all of this stuff isn't actually real and they started questioning celestia and the gods and my theory is that one of the Seelies took the sides of the humans and that's sort of like the marriage of the Seelie and the human so i mean the primordial one in celestia was like 
okay, like the world is about to crumble and get just like what the uh, what King Deshret was saying that the barriers were torn down, the dark poison had penetrated the earth, blah, blah, blah. So that was happening, like everything was falling apart because people were suddenly questioning their reality. And so to fix that, the primordial one sends down the sky nails, which wipes out most of humanity. So we're talking, uh, this is like when Economia sinks into the sea. This is when Salvin Dagner gets frozen and they all die out. And this is when the Seelies get exiled. And this is all happening at the same time, which means that this was all happening around 6,000 years ago, which had to have been when the second who came sort of showed up and went to war with the primordial one. Why was Tavat in utter chaos? Because of the second who came. Well, I just, I just mean, like, ima- <laughs> can you imagine, like, I feel like Tavat's in chaos right now. Yeah, I think that's right. even kind of goes into more of why we need that, like, we need to see a linear timeline at some point. So we can kind of see how all these things kind of go on at the same time. Mm -hmm. You ready to make that? Because we can have a PowerPoint presentation. Absolutely. (laughs) We know at least it begins with the dragon lords in the elemental plane and it ends with when we wake up. But do we know that? It could start in the No, we don't. (laughs) Uh, I will say earlier, Honkai Sai. We keep notes, travelers, of like what we want to talk about. So everyone has an idea of like what our main talking points are. And I was in the Google Doc and so was Brandon. And he was typing something about like maybe this is what caused like the chasm's creation i went or the astral express crashed into (laughs) and then i got yelled at to get out of his notes get out of my notes (laughs) (laughs) the only other thing i wanted to mention with the timeline is that this all was all happening six thousand years ago if it's true that salvin dagner is that old and they were among the first humans we know that because of the description of the scribe's box and dragon spine that the scribe, I believe, is the last survivor of Salvin Dagner. Like everyone else, I think, died before him. And he mentions in the description of that that he had heard of people building a nation without gods. So that, to me, implies that that maybe Conria was first coming into being at mm. the that time. Ooh. I'm thinking that the Conrians were inspired by the second who came sort of spilling all this tea about the truth of the world and the mm. fake sky and all of that. So that's when they sort of, you know, flood underground and created their own nation. And it started learning what they uh, are using, what they had learned to try to come up with a plan to combat Celestia. Mm, that makes sense. Also, though, wasn't Enconomia originally like a, a godless land? Like, Isteroth would check in on them every now and then, but stopped and... Orobashi eventually became their god, but weren't they also godless originally? So I wonder if Salvinir could also be thinking of Enconomia. I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll get into that in our next episode, oh, which yeah. will be about Enconomia. But uh, I do know that when they tried to come back up, that they were somehow blocked from doing so. And so they weren't sure who won the war between the primordial one and uh, the second who came. But yeah, I don't remember. I'm going to have. We have to wait till I research it to re- figure out if they were like following a god or anything. Yeah, it'll be interesting to know too, because I think that'll make a, it just makes the lore even trickier if, if they were godless at first, right? 
Right. Like they really don't want us to know when shit started. (laughs) (laughs) It's also crazy how much of the chasm lore really ties into the overarching lore of the world. I know we've mainly talked about the relations back to Conria, but it is really interesting. You know, we learn a lot. I'm going to speed run a few things, but just like we know that Azdaha used to live in the chasm. Uh, we know that eventually, you know, all these demons and monsters start coming out of the chasm during the cataclysm, which leads us down the whole missing Yaksha storyline that we talked about in our Zhao episode and also reminds us about the fantastic compass that was down there. We also still don't know what happened to Jishong, if she survived or not, if she's alive. We have that mushroom down there that talks to us, which was really our first inkling into what Sumeru was going to be like. Mm-hmm. I feel like Jishyung is alive, by the way. She's too stubborn to die. That's good. Because the last we heard from her, she left us a note saying that she was going to go ahead and travel further down this path. And then when we go to search for the path, it's not there. And Mm. I feel like we should have a little bit more faith in her because she is a cartographer, much like Mika, which I'm like, oh my God, I wonder if they know each other. But she's, I guess, Mm. Leeway Adventures (laughs) Guild. Because Mika does not have a voice line about other cartographers. I look. Maybe she found a way into Conria. Maybe. It's also interesting because all of our viewpoints in the chasm, which are like those purple things you can go over and click and they show you like a photo when you're traveling, all the chasm viewpoints are written in her perspective. So I can't remember where we actually went with her versus where we didn't. So it's like, oh, was she already here? Maybe we'll find her in Sumeru. Maybe someone (laughs) there will help her. Maybe Tinyari's helping her. We don't know. And on top of that, too, with the chasm, we also meet a ton of other people down there. We have our super high miner with his very red eyes, and we find out that he's been eating the magic mushrooms, basically. We also meet Ekaterina. It's Ekaterina. We meet Ekaterina. Ekaterina. We meet a a Fatui electro-sisson mage who has a lot of backstory on what the Fatui are doing down there, and she's trying to find her brother, and we find out that her brother is probably dead which was a huge there was a lot of fatui lore down there we actually met a whole bunch of fatui guys who were telling us all about what they were doing down there and they seem to be stuck in like a weird time loop as well but yeah there's a lot going on in the chasm and i don't think we really have enough time to cover all those things in as much detail Aww. Can I do the quick hidden shit? Yeah, go ahead. What do you want to mention? All right. So there is the quest called the Orb of Blue Depths, D-E-P-T-H-S. And that's when you fight all these serpent knights with a bunch of different names. And they give you these purple pearls. And it's like, I thought this was the Orbs of Blue Depths. Well, actually, they might be fogged over with abyssal corruption. And they're originally blue. Are they the Genesis Pearl? We don't know. But if you get all nine, because yes, it's nine, you get to a secret room that has a letter that in everyone's world, it is different to to what line is legible. But it translates as not as if I were to be outfitted as the guardian of Conria, not as if my destructive self was made to be the liar of Barbados, 
Not as if I were to soar like Pegasus. Not if I were the swift snow-white pair of Morpheus. Add these to the feather-footed and the winged. And likewise, call for the swiftness of the winds. And though you should harness these, friend, and offer them to me, yet I should be tired to the bone and worn away by frequent faintness. My friend, while I would search for you, the heavens fall to pieces and falsehoods collapse. Pretty fucking cool. I can't believe it changes every time. Well, I mean, it changes for each person. Yes. So like each line, because all of it, like, if I were to be outfitted as that guardian of Conria, you can't read it if you're in someone's world and they might have, yet I would be tired to the bone and worn away by quite frequent faintness. It's really cool. And if you notice all the glowy shit on the walls, mm-hmm. you can translate that into Latin, which is that you can then detranslate and let me know what you think it really is trying to say. Like, what do you think it's trying to say? Well, so two people, and this is all from Reddit. I'll, we'll put the link in the link on the, on the page, but all these texts translate and one person put them in this order. The dweller in heaven sends the thorns, for the way of the abyss is not to be. Faithful eagle and eagle and growing agnar bewail the dead, call on the living in shadows to prevent the shedding of tears. But some people have translated it this way. The dwellers in heaven use the thorns to pass judgment. I see your tears. I too mourn the dead. But if you do not wish to become like them... This pious egal calls upon the living to go into the depths and shadows. But everything that's abyssal can be directly ciphered into Latin, which we then can translate. So this just means what more is hidden. Right. And it's yeah. true. I love the letter, not as if I were to be outfitted as that guardian of Conria. Which, here's the thing. It's basically Genshin's twist on a Roman poem called catalyst 58b catalyst is a roman poet from like 84 to 50 bce so very uh, ancient but his original poem is read he is not a guardian if he imagines kratos not if pegasus were carried by flight i am not Latos, but perseus not rhesus Snow and the city team add to this plumpitis and the flying ones and the winds the same trace their course, which teams of the Camerai would you tell me? But he was tired of all his bones and perished with many diseases. I was looking for you as my friend. This is so sad because I feel like the abyssal, because it's a letter that's written in abyssal, right? It's written by someone of the abyss to someone who is not of the abyss, but can read abyssal, which we know Sumerian is its own specific language and lettering because we see it in Sumeru and we see it with Alhatham's, you know, swingy attack swords. And Abyssal is very different. Maybe Abyssal has a root in Conrian writing and maybe they're writing to the people of Conria. I don't know. It's it's really interesting. And I really want to learn more about Catalyst or Cotulus. It's C-A-T-U-L-L-U-S. Cataclysi? Catullus? Catullus, probably. I want to really go into that, into that poem. I really love the letter, though. It's so beautiful, and it's... It is. It makes me wonder who wrote it. It seems like it was written during the 
the cataclysm because they're talking about the heavens fall to pieces and falsehoods collapse. And it's very much like someone's like, I'm not up high and mighty. I'm not like a chosen one. I'm here yeah. just trying to do what I can for the people like I love. outfitted as that guardian of Conria, sort of like jealous of Dainsley for something. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I'm trying to do what I can, but I'm so tired. I, I can't do it anymore. And the fact that it's all these orbs you get to unlock this room is from nine serpent knights. Something about it is so tragic. And in a way, it's like they wanted to do everything that they could to, to help their people. It also makes me... It's real. It's just so sad. <laughs> anyway. Well, it makes me wonder if it is a knight or something of Conria, and if those knights were... If there was like another entrance to Conria in the chasm that they were coming out of. Because mm. we know from the missing Yaksha storyline that Zhao's now dead Yakshabud and Yalan's ancestor were like guarding the chasm together and they didn't see any like not monsters there you know they didn't see normal people down there so it's interesting that there is a note from like a possible person from Conria like just like vibing around I almost wonder if it's you know, I think I had this talk with Brandon recently, and I could be wrong. So if it wasn't UB, let me know. Where we were saying that maybe Dane'sleaf isn't real. <laughs> like he's like yeah. <laughs> all figments of our imagination. And I wonder if Dane'sleaf is dead and he wrote that note. What? Oh, oh my. We're just we're just seeing a ghost. Well, Ooh. that's it's possible. I'm just saying it's possible. Does anybody else ever talk to him or is it Hi, just Mom. us? And Kaya. We did have we did have that beer. Oh, yes, 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 we did. Well, yeah, and the bartender there didn't speak directly to him, Kaya had ordered. But he is skittish about other people. I mean, mm -hmm. we meet him at, I guess, the bar in Mondstadt, but remember, he, like, didn't want to go to the church when we go to talk to yeah, Babs. Yeah, maybe because he would bust out into flames. Yeah. He <laughs> does bust out into song. <laughs> maybe that too i mean he's he might... doing a dance he's like i'm dane's leaf he's got like a top hat on he's like <laughs> barbara joins I'm in dane's leaf i'm dead and i'm gonna fuck your shit up every time every time <laughs> he shows up and i'm fucking shit up no i think that's all the time we have for Day. Uh, thank you, travelers, for coming with us into the chasm and beyond. Wow, I feel like we were in Conria even at this rate. If you liked what you heard today and you want to hear more, you want to give us some feedback on what we talked about today, you can feel free to follow us on Tales of Devot Pod on Instagram or Tales of Devot on Twitter. You can also feel free to send us an email, Pod at gmail.com to let us know all of your thoughts about today's episode and more. And next week, we will be talking about Enjo and the plight of Inconomia. So, Brandon, bringing some stuff up earlier we'll definitely be deep diving further into next week were they a godless land we'll find out soon <laughs> but on that note safe journeys travelers we'll see you next time bye the second who nerded